University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. New York Yankee great Yogi Bear is credited with saying a lot of witty things, such as, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. Or, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. But one of his most remarkable sayings is, the future is not what it used to be. Now, that's also been credited to a French poet, but nevertheless, it's an amazing saying. The future is not what it used to be. It's classified as an apothem. Apothem comes from the Greek word apotheme, which means something clearly spoken or declared. It's, it's a terse or instructive remark that causes us to pause and rethink things. And so that's why we've been in this series that we're about to wrap up, Apothem, eight simple sayings that will change everything. Sometimes the most powerful saying is the shortest one. So take, for example, the phrase, here. For this, we take a look at the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 7, verse 1. Now, let me set up what's happening in our text. Jesus has just wrapped up his famous teaching on the Sermon of the Plain. Apparently, he and Matthew could not agree of the landscape by which Jesus' teaching took place, one on a mountain, one on a plain. Nevertheless, he wraps up this teaching, and in verse 1 it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered in Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and to heal his servant. And when he had come to Jesus, they had pleaded with him earnestly, This man deserves for you to do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Capernaum was the crossroads city for the region of Galilee, where people would have stopped on the road to pay Roman taxes and tolls. Therefore, it was no surprise that there would have been some sort of Roman official living in the town, a centurion. The centurion is, is part of the Roman occupation army in Israel at the time, and he would have been a warrior and commander of warriors. centurion would have had the authority over a hundred men. So that probably tells us that there's a, a great concentration of Roman soldiers in this area. And we learned that the centurion had a servant. Surprise, surprise. But we also learned the servant, the slave, is gravely ill and near death. So the centurion with his slave would have been no shocker to the story. But what should grab our attention is that the centurion is greatly distressed about the servant's illness and quickly approaching death. To the man, like a centurion, his, his slave would have been something disposable. If he dies, it just gets another one. But this centurion doesn't view his servant as disposable. He, he values him very much. We're also introduced to another set of characters, the elders. These guys would have been the town representatives, the, the guys to go to to make things happen. So the centurion, hearing that Jesus was in town, sent the elders to plead with Jesus to come heal his servant. They come to Jesus, asking him to heal the man's servant, but the elders get it wrong because they think that they need to bargain with Jesus on behalf of the centurion. They, they think they need to tell Jesus of all the great things this man has done in order to be deserving of Jesus' miracle. 
With a centurion in such a position of authority, it would have made complete sense for him to send messengers on his behalf. The man had important things to do. And at a certain level, we can probably resonate with the centurion, can't we? According to a recent study, the average full-time working American uses 130% of their waking hours. And obviously what they're calculating into that is our ability to multitask. But if you really stop and think about your day, it's not difficult to add up all the tasks and projects and appointments and consumption that fill our waking hours. Our schedules are booked. We are always in a rush. There's always one more email to check, one more text to reply to. And do you find there's always one more problem to solve, one more fire to put out? There's always another article to read, a show to watch, an app to open and check in on. And while you pick up this one thing here, you quickly put it down to pick up this other thing here. There's always the option of, of juggling both things at the same time. Acclaimed cardiologist Meyer Friedman defined this as what's called hurried sickness. Above all, he writes, a, a conscious struggling, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things and participate in more and more events in less and less time, frequently in the face of opposition, real or imagined from other persons. There's no time to stop. So we're always on the go. We deal with exhaustion and scattered brains and a sense of ceaselessness on and on and on. And in our current 21st century lives, it's not easy. There's always something coming up that we need to prepare or participate in. Our lives are so well documented that it's not easy for us to look past the past. Given this fast-paced and hectic schedule, most of us keep a base level of anxiety and stress and unhappiness as if it's this new norm we should live into. And you may not even realize it, but this has a tendency to get sucked into the past and the future that can leave you personally worn out, feeling out of touch of yourself, let alone others around you. Most of our time is spent in the past and in the future, rather than in the present moment. And we end up doing is, is passing through that moment in a way that, that we're somewhere else. We're, we're doing something else in our mind that we miss the moment, and that's how life ends up passing us by. We do it to ourselves. And not being present is easy because there's always bills to pay, kids to pick up from school, there's doctor's appointments, uh, reports to write, books to read, parents to, to take care of, loved ones to miss, and the list goes on and on. And with all this going on, the past and the future, it's no wonder that the presence can seem so elusive to us. It's not, however, as elusive as we might believe. As Eckhart Tolle wrote, unease, anxiety, tension, stress, and worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future and not enough present. Guilt, regret, resentment, grievances, sadness, bitterness are all non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough presence. One of the most tragic things about our busyness is it not only affects us, but affects others. How often has our busyness didn't just cause us to miss the stranger at need in our community, 
let alone our, our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, and even our family? Have you ever been so caught up in an email or text to respond to that you don't even hear the person standing next to you asking you a question? Do that all the time. Our busyness doesn't just affect us, but affects others. So yes, we can resonate with the centurion who has enough compassion to take notice of his servant's sickness, but sends a messenger to take care of this so that he could go about his work. But look at what happens in verse 6. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I tell this one to go, and he goes, and that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Okay. We had the story all wrong. This centurion was not too busy for the plight of his beloved servant. He was living in the present, but feels unworthy in this moment with God. Here's a man who is a Roman warrior and commander of Roman legions who's been placed in Capernaum to rule over this town to collect taxes and tolls from travelers. Here's a man who stands among the people around him with everything, yet he does not see himself deserving to come into the presence of Jesus. He calls Jesus Lord. It's a term of submission that says, you are above me and more powerful than me. And he doesn't just stop there. He says that he does not even deserve to come, have Jesus come under his roof. In other words, you are so great and powerful and more awesome than me that I don't even deserve for you to come into my house. And a quick reminder, this is all over a servant, a dying slave in his household. So not only does he have the humility before Jesus, but we practically see someone that he, he practically sees someone he loves and serves him, and despite his social position and authority, he cares deeply for this man. The Roman centurion has mastered the art of being present in the moment, despite all the power and responsibility of his position. And this story teaches us a lot about the power of presence. Just think about how easy it is in our culture, can, it can parallel to the life of the centurion. We have so much going on in our lives that we are constantly distracted at the matters at hand, while simultaneously thinking about what's ahead of us in the future and contemplating the things we experienced in the past. And at times, it feels impossible to think about what will happen in the moment when you merely are just trying to survive the circumstances at hand. From, from laundry to driving kids to the next activity, from meeting a new client to taking care of aging parents, from, from one email to an argument within a marriage, from, from your kids acting out to the disappointment of what was supposed to be. Jesus is teaching us the power of something here. And in the Gospels, he teaches us the power of, of worry. And he says, we'll worry about what we eat and drink, where we'll live but he also invites us into the possibility of presence. There is a great power of being present in the moment. 
A 2016 study found evidence suggesting cultivating present moment awareness could make it easier to cope not only with the single stress of an event, but also later stresses in the same day and future events you might face. As author, one author put it, the, the present moment is the only thing where there is no time. It is the point between past and future. It's always there. It's all, the only point we access in time. Everything that happens, happens in the present moment. Everything that will happen or ever happen can only happen in the present moment. It is impossible for anything to exist outside of it. So what does the idea of here truly mean? It's staying here, right here. Here is about being present on purpose. Here is about being present to yourself by being consciously aware of what's happening in and around you. Here doesn't consider what will happen or what will happen in the next moment. It's the pause between life of happening. It is now. The present goes beyond words and actions. Here is paying attention to the things that are happening currently around you. These these events might range from joyous to downright heartbreaking and anywhere in between. And being here is often as simple as savoring the taste and fragrance of your morning coffee, enjoying the softness of your favorite clothes, noting the distant sounds like music, your neighbor's voice, or enjoying the warmth of water on your skin when you take a shower or wash your hands. As Henry David Thoreau put it, the meeting of two eternities, the past and the future, is precisely the present moment. And we can learn from the centurion, it's not only the power of presence of being here, but what God can do through being here. Here is many who, uh, here's a man who had many people at the disposal, uh, like a number of servants, let alone a small force under his power in the city of Capernaum to oversee. And yet, what we learn from the centurion is that he knows the people around him. He considers their needs and, and his ability to act. But what we can also learn from him is the power of faith when we are present in the moment. It is a conscious awareness of, of who God is and how God functions in our life. And the centurion heard that Jesus of Nazareth was in his town. He believed that Jesus could make a difference. He believed that Jesus could heal his servant. And the centurion didn't turn to his military ability, his great wealth, or his endless resources at his disposal to try to fix the situation. There was no amount of money that he could throw at this servant's wounds to heal him. There was no great army he could send to overcome the illness that was stealing the life of his servant. There was no great wisdom or philosophy that could coax his servant back to health. There was no great charity that he could give to in the city of Capernaum to draw his servant back from despair. The centurion literally could do nothing for his servant. And so the centurion turned to the power of being present in the moment, settling his heart into the presence of God and awakening his imagination to the possibility of a miracle. God did an amazing thing through the power of the centurion's presence to be here and now. And I wonder how many opportunities of everyday miracles in our lives or in the lives of people around us 
we miss out on because we are so busy getting from point A to point B. Or only considering how our resources and connections can fix the problems in our lives. How often are our heads down focusing on answering the latest email and text that we pass out on the miracle that might transform our lives and the lives of others? What would happen if we stopped looking at our hands and our wallets and our experience and our resources and our connections to help us fix the crises that people are facing? Instead, what would happen if we turn inward to the presence of God at work within our soul to discover the great moment of faith that can transform the moment at hand? And there's something amazing in the story that we've yet to acknowledge. It's not the miracle that took place. No, it's the fact that Jesus was amazed by the centurion. The word amazed, the Greek word thalmazo, is the same word used to describe the people who heard Jesus preach or saw him perform a miracle. This word described how the crowds felt as they saw and heard the marvelous things that Jesus has done, except now Jesus is amazed. Amazed by what? It says the great faith of the centurion. Jesus said, I have not seen greater faith in all of Israel. First of all, Jesus is saying, this centurion gets me. He knows who I am. And some of you, namely the religious leaders, and even some in this crowd, don't even see me for who I am. So it's the great faith of this Gentile, this person who the Jews despise as the enemy of their nation that has great faith. And how did this man have great faith? Well, he believed that all Jesus must do is simply speak words from his lips and his servant will be healed. He's acknowledging the power of Jesus. And mind you, it's the power he's only heard about Jesus. He's never actually met the man. How can we learn from the centurion that our willingness to be here just might astonish God? Consider And pause for just a second. The extraordinary nature of that statement. Our willingness to show up, to be present, to be consciously aware of here, responding in faith, astonishes the God that created us. Again, consider the many moments and people that consume our busy days. Are we consciously aware of who they are and what's happening in their lives? Are we willing to have faith to step up and respond to the great moments of faith when God can use our help for our coworkers and neighbors and members of our community and friends and family? Don't you want to know and experience what it's like to amaze God? That sounds pretty awesome. So I don't want the magnitude of the story to hinder us from learning how we can learn to be here. According to a research done in 2019, mindful practices, including being present awareness, may help reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression in our lives. So let me suggest to you four simple things you can do to practice being here every single day. And the first thing is to focus in on your breathing. Everything falls away in the simple span of time, a breath. Breath, therefore, is an ever-present anchor to the present moment. By bringing awareness into the fullness of each breath, you, you ground yourself in the here and now. 
deep, full breathing calms the mind, it soothes the body, it takes into the, the, the timeless eternity of each moment. We see the power of breath in, in God because we see that God breathed life into existence. The Spirit of God is described as breath, so the very real sense of active breathing focuses in on God's presence near us. Are you breathing? Are you here? Taking a breath is a gift. There's another gift and another gift. What else happens in your life? The failures, the the pain, the heartache, the abuse, the loss. The first thing that can be said about all those things is that we still receive a gift. It's the gift of breath. And the second thing you can do is to see, hear, smell, and feel what is around you and within you. We get so busy doing life that we, we hone out all of our senses just to survive to get to the next thing. Have you ever had one of those wake-up moments where you just all of a sudden tuned in to everything that happens around you, like when a, a car accidentally pulls out in front of you and you immediately have to take action to avoid a crash? All of our senses come flooding in at that moment. God gives us our senses as a gift to survive, yes, but also to live. And each sense is a wonder to behold, a universe to itself. And by shifting all of our attention to the input received by one specific sense, you become aware of all the subtle nuances and vibrations and levels at work around you. It's amazing how we can begin to awake within us the moment of being here by doing the mundane task of washing dishes and mowing the grass and driving in traffic and paying attention to all those things that happen around us. And not only are you paying attention to what's happening around you, but, but, but within you. You've enabled yourself to hear the stories of others, to observe the emotions on their faces, to hear the tone in their voice. And whatever it is that you find yourself doing in every given day, from, from, from laundry to meetings to traffic to, to going to class to answering emails to driving kids around, God wants us to learn that you, you don't have to miss out on a thing by, by simply just opening your eyes wide open, by being fully awake to the miraculous nature to own your existence and to understand the existence of others. And and when we can focus in in our breathing, it's a spiritual act of being here. We can tap into our God-given senses in the moment. It's amazing how the practice of being here helps us to respond to the here and now. We see this in the life of the centurion by acting in faith to do something for his servant. As one researcher put it into the power of empathy, Emotional clarity and cognitive empathy may be associated because of the the constructs involved in identifying and describing emotional experiences of ones for emotional clarity and the other for cognitive empathy. In other words, when we are more attuned within ourselves and how God is at work in our lives, then we are consciously and emotionally open to the needs of others. The third thing we need to do in order to be here is to respond to what and who is around us. As we are rooted in the moment, attuned to the Spirit of God through recognizing God's presence as we breathe, and as we pay uh, close attention to our God-given senses, 
we can then move and act. Jesus told us a parable about our inability to act in the moment. Remember, he said that there was a guy that got robbed, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road. A priest came upon him, but he was too busy with what he needed to do. He moves on. Then an expert in the religious laws came by, and he too went on the other side out of a sense of busy neglect. But then the most unlikely of persons, a man discriminated against because of his race, came by only to show the dying man compassion. God gives us the moment, not to just have our eyes drawn to our glowing phones and our minds wrapped up with what we think we need to be doing or our consciousness boarded up with those we think deserve our presence. God gives us the moment to be here and to respond to the people around us. And the final thing we can do to practice being here is to reflect on where God is at work. We see this theme throughout the Bible in which the writers invite the readers to remember where they came from. Remember that you once were slaves in Egypt, but God delivered you out of the empire's hands through the wilderness and into the promised land. Remember that God is at work in your life. In our daily business, if we can't just see the people and moments around us, how then can we see God's presence in those people and in those moments. At the end of each day, whether through prayer or writing or conversation, recognize and reflect on where you saw God's presence at work in your life today. And all of a sudden, the mundane of our lives, the hours behind, the, the glow of the computer, the the repetitive nature of being stuck at home, the agitation of kids arguing over sharing a toy, driving from point A to point B, those moments are transformed because we see the God of creation at work in our lives and in the world. As one author put it, I want you to be here. I want you to see and feel and notice and even enjoy your life, not just as you sit quickly, but as you go and go, as you work, as you answer emails, as you get stuck in traffic, as you find your path and throw yourself into it, Surrendering to the outcomes you risk and learn and grow and work your craft and push and pull and stress and pain and sorrows and responsibilities in the slog of this sacred gift that is your life. So may we step out in faith, knowing that sometimes the most profound thing we can simply do is to be here. Let's enter into a time of silent reflection and response.